Hello and welcome to the Grumpy Surfer podcast. I'm your host, Ads Lyson. My guest today is someone I idolised as a child and paved the way in professional surfing for Goofy Footers. This person has won two ASP World titles, three Pipe Masters and the Triple Crown of Surfing. He is truly an inspirational and spiritual human being and an honour to talk to. Please enjoy a Grumpy Surfer conversation with Tom Carroll. Tom Carroll, welcome to the Grumpy Surfer podcast. Thanks for joining me today. Grumpy Surfer, yeah, thanks. <laughs> it's good to be here, Ed. Yeah, thanks, mate. So, Tom, how are you today? What have you done today? And who are you with? Okay, um, whew, I'm good. Uh, feel healthy. Um, everything's in, in place at the moment. Um, so I, I didn't actually surf today. I did a lot of um, running around sort of organizing um, materials and specific things so I can uh, create a couple of tow uh, foil boards for because I'm shaping them for these guys and uh, and making getting them made uh, so a little bit of running around like that there's actually a really fun looking ocean today beautiful day it's like an almost summer summery kind of feeling but I spent some time with some friends this morning um, two guys uh, they're good buddies but just talking stuff and then um yeah this afternoon i was just scouting around the beaches looking i've got a couple of i'm going to give a couple of coaching sessions to one to a young boys 10 years of age i've never met him before i'm just going to meet up with him at 6 30 in the morning uh so i wanted to make sure i could find a good break for him tomorrow morning uh he's pretty keen apparently very keen kid and then i've got a lady after that she's kind of almost like uh, she's in her um, mid-40s. She's very, very keen, pretty strong, physically strong, but she's very keen on surfing. So, And this is sort of things that I've just sort of come out of. Um, I don't really, like, it's not a big thing that I do, coaching, but um, I can do it. I, I love doing it, but it's not something that I, that I make, you know, make money out of or anything, um, but um, charge a little fee, but nothing yeah but it's fun i enjoy it and so i just sort of set that up for tomorrow morning we're gonna have really fun little baby waves tomorrow beautiful day in the morning so that's what i've been doing i'm actually at home my partners i just come home from work it, it's um the evening time six um in the evening here in sydney and it's um it's winter time you guys wouldn't have um <laughs> you guys have way heavier winter than us but I guess it's summer there, so mm, a yeah, nice summer. We're in the midst of a bit of a heat wave at the moment. It's been yeah. 30 degrees mm. for the past sort of like, you know, four or five days. It's been, it's been pretty wow. good. Mm. The thing is, though, our country's not really set up for um, for for the hot weather. So no. we always have like air conditioning and stuff like that. We don't have that. We just have some fans and blow our air all over ourselves. Mm. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. That's it. Actually, um. I've got a daughter who's about to travel over there. Okay, nice. And uh, she's, she's uh, um, if everything's good, all the, all the permits are all set up, all the stuff that you've got to do to go through to travel, she'll be taking off up there on arriving in London on the 30th. Uh, Has she got a bit of a plan that she's going to be doing or do you know where she wants to go? 
Yeah, yeah. She's uh, 17. She's a, um, she wants to be a professional ball- ballerina. So she's pretty high level. So she goes into the third year pre-professional with the Royal Ballet School in Covent Garden. Mm. Oh, so nice. She'll be going in there. So, yeah. So it's just it's, it's uh, going to be tricky because I won't, probably won't be able to just go and see her for a while, maybe, you know, I won't see her physically for a while and it could might be a year or so. So mm. I've got some uh, cousins that live in New Zealand. Um, they, you know, my, my uncle went over there and lived there probably about 20 or 30 years ago now, maybe. Mm. That. Yeah, about 20 or 30 mm. years ago now. And mm. uh, his daughter Sam came over a couple of years ago and she did the big travel thing, you know, around seeing all the, um, yeah. all the sites and stuff like that, you know, a couple mm. of months. Mm. Yeah, I'd really love to come up and visit her in the UK and then go up. I'd love to go up to Scotland around there. I've never been up that way. Mm. Yeah. Some good ways up there sometimes too. Yeah. Mm. It's cold though. <laughs> Proper cold. I don't mind yeah. a bit of cold. I'm like, some of that's in my blood, I guess. I don't know. Mm. Yeah. So can you just explain a little bit about yourself, like how you got into surfing and, you know, how you came to be one of like the most dominant people on the World Surf Tour for about 10 years, really? Mm. Wow, yeah. So, I don't know, I, I was just lucky, you know, that, um, uh, okay, um, <clears throat> I guess we lived at, lived just across the boat, road from a, a beach called Bungan Beach. And there's quite a big walk down to Bunga Beach from where we live. Uh, and I used to see this guy with a surfboard on his head with a towel because it's a long surfboard. It's probably 1967, 66, 67. Um, when I noticed this guy carrying this surfboard, you know, in the weekend probably, I can't remember, but imagine. And he'd be walking up and down with, you know, with this surfboard on his head. I go, wow, how's that thing, you know? he doing and then i remember seeing people like riding waves with it you know this well i just love the ocean uh we go down to the beach during the summer and i'll uh, be with my brother and and my sister both older than me and we had one uh like inflatable rubber like what we call surfer plane um like a mat and um that would was we'd share between the three of us and i was always the last one um, at the mat, right? Particularly with my brother, the most competitive person in the world. <laughs> so it was really tough getting a go on the mat, but finally I'd get a go on the mat just before I had to go home or something. And um, I didn't really remember how that all worked out, but I remember seeing, I've got a photo of us standing there and I was definitely the one without the mat. It was Joe and Nick who were leaning on the mat you know, in the photograph. <laughs> so, uh, and then there came a Christmas in uh, 1968. Uh, actually, it was, yeah, 96, Christmas 1968. Uh, my mum was really sick. She was, uh, she had uh, cancer pretty bad and she'd been in hospital, in our hospital all year and we'd visited her a number of times and we'd, it was a regular thing, you know. She was dying of uh, pancreatic cancer and uh, she came home for that Christmas and there was rumours going on around the house that there was going to be a surfboard given out. I just thought, nah, Nick's going to get that, you know, like I just didn't think, (laughs) 
Nick's going to get that. He's going to get the center. He's like, yeah, Anyway, the Christmas morning came and then, you know, going to the bedroom, mum, dad are in bed there and, and you know, my sister Josephine gets something that I'm not even worried about because, you know, we're blokes and she's a girl, right? <laughs> and I'm like, <clears throat> I'm like seven years old, frothing. Um, this is my cat, Chino, by the way. He's eighteen and he's eighteen and a half years old. This guy. No. Anyway, way. yeah, he's pretty cool. Still going um, strong, right? He's doing good. Yeah, he's doing good. Um, anyway, that Christmas uh, out from underneath the bed, when oh, my brother got books because he was a reader, he Nick read books from five years of age, just cover to cover. I was outside up trees, so it's totally different, <laughs> right? And uh, I was just active, just ADHD probably. I don't know, probably labelled me something like that. And so <laughs> I, um, uh, out from underneath the bed, uh, well, he got the books and then I went, oh, my God, I know there's a surfboard somewhere in this room. I just, and this out from underneath the bed, the surfboard came. It was a foam surfboard, cool light surfboard, and that was for me. That was it, man. That, I was like, oh, my God. It was like the... <laughs> A surfboard, you know, it just blew my mind. It had like a green top on it, painted, yeah, and an exposed foam, kind of molded foam, styrofoam board with a uh, with a green deck with a yellow racing stripe, and this kind of label on it says Cool Light Surfboard, you know. And so that was it. I just had to go. I was just just hounding my dad to go surfing all those Christmas holidays. Just go, go, take me down, take me down. Just hounded him. You know, and, um, so yeah, getting that, that surfboard's pretty, that was pretty amazing. That got me moving. Uh, at that time, 1968, uh, you know, it took me, you know, mum passed away only a few months later and we ended up uh, moving house. Um, my dad sold the house and went and moved closer down towards the beach uh, in Newport Beach into the so to the north of Bungan. Um, the beaches are separated by um, headlands in, in northern beaches of Sydney. I don't know whether you've ever been there. but Yeah, many uh, years ago, my uh, I had a, a family friend that lived in Newcastle, but he worked yeah, in Sydney. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he, he had a, it's quite random, really. He had a, um, yeah. a sports memorabilia shop. Mm, right. Okay. So, so wow. he used to he used to sell um like uh like rare coins, stamps, uh Pokemon cards. Uh, wow. Get his hands on really. <laughs> what a crazy idea. Yeah. Whatever you know. Uh, so, what happened there was I I um just become more independent. Um, uh, going down to the beach. Um, eventually, sort of stood up on that board. Uh, on the phone board in, in on the first afternoon, never forget that moment. I actually stood up on the surfboard and it felt like I was up for about a minute, but my dad was there on the sand watching me and like he did stood over kind of what we we're doing out in the water. And he, um, he, oh, I came in and I go, oh, I had to stood up for about a minute. And he goes, no, Tom, you stood up for about a second. And I'm going, oh. I remember the just dejected feeling, but it felt like a minute. 
It wasn't like, it, it didn't matter really because it just felt like a minute. So, yeah, so there, there I was gone. I was, I was you know, um, we basically, you know, my brother went off and sort of got more involved with tennis for a little bit, that, that Christmas holidays coming up that next year. And I just got myself heavily into um, surfing with a buddy and I got more and more into surfing and then I got a fiberglass surfboard. Even though my brother got a fiberglass surfboard first, I remember taking that board and, and he, while he was playing tennis and I, um, I got stuck into surfing. By the time Nick came back to surfing, he was like, going, whoa, he can actually surf now. Like, what's going on here? So the competitive thing kind of popped a bit for him and me. But um, with all our buddies just all learning how to surf, there's just a pack of boys down there at Newport Beach. There's, you know, um, we were just young kids. We'll just be able, we could roam around there um, at that beach. It was pretty safe, um, you know, in general terms. Of it. There was no parental uh, guidance. There was, my father was just by then deep in his work, you know, sinking himself into his work because that's, how he was probably dealing with the, you know, the loss, you know, and all that sort of stuff. And that sense in the household that the mum was gone. And, uh, but I was just, and I think that's where I went to with surf with, with, uh, the ocean was there and the surfboard was there and it kind of, and uh, it takes, you know, like you probably know, it takes a lot of, a lot of time with surfing and the water to get to know it and understand it and well, really it's, um, it's yeah, connect all the dots. Very high skill based, yeah. Yeah, I mean, anything like football, rugby, or anything like that, you know, you've got to put the the, the time in the water or the hours in. I think yeah. it was, was it the ten thousand hour rule where you know you got yeah. ten thousand hours before you become even mm. competent or anywhere near sort of professional level, like you know. So if if that's true, right? Uh, I don't know how I don't know how many surfers have done actually ten thousand hours on a board. Um, that, that's kind of, I even, even from someone like Kelly Slater, I, I don't know, it's like 10,000 hours, a lot of time, but it's like, um, so maybe we haven't reached anywhere near the kind of level that we can, you know, that's what sort of blows me out that 10,000 hour, anyway, do, digress, but <laughs> coming back to that time, either from seven years old to about 12 years old when I got my first, uh, sponsored uh, surfboard and um, and I was competing uh, and knowing that I was feeling really good at what I was doing and I understood it really well and I was really getting a recognition for it you know from even at the smallest level um, means a lot when you're that old uh, in that age and and uh, but I wasn't a very good competitor. I just, I, I definitely was actually, <laughs> it's been mentioned um, by some people close to me. You're like the, you're like the worst competitor world champion there probably ever is. <laughs> uh, but it's funny um, that that carried on. I just wasn't a great uh, strategic uh, competitor. I just was all just raw, just raw approach. And, um, uh, eventually I got strategy, eventually kind of got things, had to learn things. I had some talent in there, but I had to, um, I knew I'd 
knew and felt very strong and a lot of faith with my ability to read the ocean and be with the ocean at any kind of size, at any intensity. So I was happy with that, uh, even if it was small. But that um, there was at Newport Beach where we grew up, um, there was, a, you know, um, a bunch of very competitive surfers, surfers, good surfers, guys like Derek Hind. Um, my brother was very good. He became an Australian champion in amateur division twice and um, numerous other, just a group of solid, um, crazy, you know, 80s were crazy. You know, it's just like this. We, we developed a board riders club called Newport Plus Board Riders Club in uh, 1977 and we carried that on through the 80s uh, in, in a real um, strong way we would compete against other clubs we would um you know and of course we'd jump we'd go and a lot of us we'd go and travel to hawaii when we could compete we'd um just push ourselves in the lineup all the time it was always hyper competitive just just being in that group of of men like boys men trying to be men <laughs> but uh and all that stuff that goes on amongst that it was really at amazing time, we ended up as a club. We ended up becoming the, the national um, teams teams champions. So it was pretty cool. We actually brought surfers in from outside, like Martin Potter, um, and uh, um, Rich Cram, and people like that who um, were brilliant surfers on the tour at that time. Martin Potter became a world champion, of course, and so. They were happy to surf with us, so that's why we called it Newport Plus. And um, uh, other clubs are just like, oh, my God, Newport Plus are going to know. But it was like that. It was really cool. A lot of camaraderie and um, and a lot of madness as, as well, you know, the male, male group mentality. <laughs> but um, lots of fun times. Uh, but that, um, that competitive environment, um, surfing this wave we call the peak, which is – like this wave that would go left and right pretty much uh, goes into a sandbar on either side. It's a really basic wave. It, a lot of people would just go, oh, my God, what are you surfing that way for? But that was our wave. Uh, and we, we, we surfed it with a, a lot of passion and, and intensity. Uh, and even today, you know, kids are kind of bringing it back. That intensity is kind of cool. But... Uh, back then, it was very intense competition. Just paddling out. Um, actually, with my brother, still today, just jumping in the water to paddle out with him, it's still the memories in our in our cells just to compete, just to paddle out. It's just crazy. I mean, even if we don't want to, we're not even feel like, okay, okay, it's on. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's toned down a lot um, for me, but... Back then, it was really intense, and that intensity would go out. It would just take that out out there on the world um, competition stage, and just got onto the tour when I was um, into the top sixteen. Back then, it used to be a trials event to get into um, to, to surf against the top sixteen. A trials event would pick out 16 surfers to surf against the top 16 who were seeded into the first round of the main event. And so uh, that's, there was no qualifying series tour. It was just 
you, your local guys could sort of enter in the trials and make and surf against the best surfers in the world. It was a pretty cool way of, of being able to, you could get beaten, you know, you get in the top, you'd be, I'd be the top seed and I'd have this local guy just rip at his local break and I'd just be, shit, I got this guy in the first round because he's the bottom seed and you're just going, oh my God. So it was, it was really a great way of competing and I wish it was like that today because you know, there's a lot of great surfers out there that could challenge those guys or if they felt like they could, it'd be good to throw them up against them. But back then, that's the way it was, and it was dog eat dog in the uh, on the trials events, and we'd basically surf any break wherever a sponsor would want to put up the money to. <laughs> it would be some of the crappest waves on the world. It would be nothing like the Dream Tour it is today. Well, at the moment, in break from with COVID, but um, you know, Chopu. Um, Jay Bay, uh, you know, all, all the best breaks they possibly could get, um, they were getting on the tour. And that started in the 90s with uh, G-Land uh, when they started, Quicksilver started, um, you know, sponsoring that event and getting the uh, ASP back then to get moving. But prior to that, through my, my, my big years of competition, um, you know, surfing against guys like Tom Curran, Michael Whippo, uh, Gary Ockleton, Martin Potter, um, Barton Lynch, Damien Hardman, uh, Derek Ho, all these guys, you know, Sonny Garcia and and even later down the track, you know, Kelly Slater when he came on, I, I just went, oh, I haven't got the fire left. But those, um, yeah, those 80s, the 1980s and early 90s were really powerful. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of activity, a lot of travel. How did um, you find... Um... So what I would call you sort of like the second generation of professional surfing. So your first generation would be like your rabbits, your uh, mm. Sean Thompson's and all, and uh, your mm. MRs and them sort yeah. of. How did you find the transition from being a second generation sort of rookie coming up and surfing against them, and then you being the guy then that had sort of like your rockies were sort of like to the mid to the end of your career, but then like mm. Kelly Slaters mm. and all them because they came in while you're already competing, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, my career, competitive, like full-time career, spanned only 14 years compared to someone like Kelly's, like, I don't know how many years he's been on. He's nearly 20 now, isn't it? Yeah, 20-something years, yeah, more. So, yeah, so he's, he's, yeah, it's like 20, is it 20, 20, so uh, it's 30, is it? It's almost 30 years. So he's spanned three generations, three three strong generations of surfing uh, and still being able to hold his own a bit, you know. So pretty cool. Like He's been able to do that and really commit. I think um, my one went for about 14 years. So by the time, um, you know, and, I, and I, I was lucky enough to surf against when I was 15 in 1977, people like Michael Peterson and then, and, and Mark Richards all the way through till he finished in the early 80s. And um, and Dane Kihloa, who was an amazing surfer from Hawaii, I got to compete with him. And he was an amazing surfer. Like, it's incredible he didn't get a world title. Shane Horan and, and those guys were kind of that crazy competitive environment then, which was raw and very competitive. Uh, some of the behaviour... <laughs> It was pretty funny, but it's like, 
Um, and that changed a lot. In our generation, um, it became a, a whole, because there was no one, maybe, you know, I'd win two and then Tom Curran win two and then, you know, there's no one really dominating like Kelly who kind of put a damper on a whole lot of very, um, you know, promising careers. <laughs> Kelly just like snuffed them out. Um, whereas through our, our era, there was a bunch of us who would be able to pop up and get a world total here and there like Barton and uh, Damien who got two and, um, and Derek Ho and, uh, and Sonny and, Oh, but Sonny was a bit later, but Oki should have had a world title earlier, but um, he kind of went off the rails for a bit. But because uh, he kind of came on as a real youngster when I was starting, at, we were going for my world titles, and he was incredible talent. Like just like, oh my god, how's this guy? But um, and he had a lot of success straight off the bat, like Martin Potter. He had incredible success when he was fifteen. And then he had to have take a. It was just too much for him early, you know, that early phase, um, traveling so much, and I'd say know, it was the power, the power of the goofy footers. Yeah, you, know, you yeah. being goofy, Yoki is as well. Mm-hmm. You know, you, not, not really that many on the on the tour, and still isn't really now, is there? Really? Mm-hmm. Well, you got Medina. Um, you know, he's pretty damn good. Um, um, and you got Nutella Ferreira, like he's the current world champ. So there's it, there's a few in there that are really good, but and um, I don't know what that is, but kind of like they tend to when they come along, they tend to shine. Um, but yeah, they, they, it's, I don't know. It must be more so that you surf left foot forward too. Let's see, so here's that way anyway. Mm. Yeah, it seems a lot of the breaks there, especially the ones that are on the CT at the moment, they're um, mm. they're more sort of like regular footed dominant. Mm. So, you know, mm. you've got that little mm. bit of power on your backhand, haven't you? So a lot of people mm. yeah. prefer backhand to forehand, don't they? Because you can drive more. Yeah. yeah, you can use the heel heel off the off the bottom and you can really power into the heel and uh, and yeah, use your hamstrings and butt. <laughs> Which, if you've got a really strong hamstring butt combination and twist, you can really blast off the, you know, out of the tail, on the backside, like you know, Talo and uh, and both Talo and and um, Gabe do, um, and and even you know Owen Owen Wright, um, he does some really nice stuff mm, on the backside. Talk to me about your um, your first experiences of Hawaii because you you I've read your read your book TC uh, yeah. and in there you know you're saying that you struggled in smaller ways but you um, you were able to perform really well in, in bigger mm. waves mm. Um, you know what were your experiences of going to Hawaii and surfing you know in, in the season there well when I first went there I was 16 and I was really um, I was scared um, because I had so many stories and I'd watched so many movies, you know, and they were like big um, pipeline, you know, like these great movies with Joe Lopez and, and Barry Kamar Puny at Sunset and, uh, you know, like all, all my heroes, you know, surfing amazing looking waves. And, uh, and I had all these stories from some of them, like um, some of my, uh, Cole Smith, 
um, who used to shape my boards, used to give me stories and uh, just a, a rich, rich stories. And uh, and then I would see the movies and then and by the time I got there, it was real. I was like, oh my god, this is real. I'm like, I'm like proper. I've got to ride these big boards and I've got to do this and that and like I, this, this. And my first few surfs, the waves were so much more powerful than home, and I could feel the ocean moving more. Like there's there's just more raw power uh, available. And then once I sort of started to feel it. And it's use, use it um, and feel a longer board that fit in the wave. I started to really love that. Um, it just, I like the adrenaline, you know, like the adrenaline of it. Um, it just sort of fit into my system really well. I was very, and, and I just loved it. I could surf for hours and, um, and I'd get myself into all sorts of shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it didn't bother me. I used to, um, I actually first wipe out at sunset. I literally shit myself. Uh, I filled my, my film, my, uh, my board shorts up <laughs> fully. And, uh, and I had to rip them off and wash myself out because with all the stories were all through my head. And when I, when I got pitched on the inside of the sunset, it was so thick and I just got launched. And uh, I remember just that weightlessness and everything just, it, it was just evacuation of the bow. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and uh, never happened to me before, you know, so it was quite a surprise. <laughs> Involuntary. If it was a regular recurrence, yeah. there'd be something seriously wrong, I think. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> but that was, oh, that was memorable. And, um, uh, but from now on, I was I was engaged, and um, and I like that engagement, that feeling, and I like feeling a little bit scared, you know, that feeling, that little edgy, oh, oh you know, that, yeah, and uh, and I kind of dug into that, and um, and it felt good, and that kind of didn't go away. I mean, it, it sort of mellowed out now. The testosterone ride is sort of backed off now, but those first few trips to Hawaii were it just built me up and it, and I got uh, more in tune with my equipment. I love the equipment. I love the feeling of the history of it. And, and I, you know, seeing all my heroes there and just like, I felt like I was in the right place. You know? mm. Yeah. It must've been almost kind of like the Mecca because like I say, yeah. you, 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 when, when you probably went there, when you were at 16, you were at the tail end of where, you had like the pioneers being there, you know, they must have still mm -hmm. kind of been knocking around um, mm -hmm. a little bit, but then, you know, surfing in the last 20 to 30 years has progressed so much. I mean, mm -hmm. I mean, look, when you retired in what, 96, was it when you retired? No, 92, was it? 90, 93 was my last year, 90, yeah. 93 or 94, I think it was 94. So, 94 so I, I retired and um yeah i remember having it was too much to have the two girls traveling i had my two daughters going and it was just too much and um i don't know how those guys do it <laughs> traveling with all their kids you know like joel, joel parkinson did it for quite a long time three kids and, I think traveling with, with kids these days is, is a lot easier. I mean, I've got two kids of my yeah. own, and yeah. um, they're eight, eight and three, and just the thought yeah. of sticking them on a plane for, I don't know, 10, 12 hours to go back to Bali or something like that 
it would just brighten me to sit on the plane with him, you know. So they yeah. want something around there. But I think the the feasibility yeah. of doing that is 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 a lot easier than what it was probably about thirty years ago, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was tricky. Yeah, traveling with young, a baby, and and a two year old. That was when we did it with Jenna and Mimi for the, the together. It was too much when we decided. Oh look, we you know if God's going to stay at home or tried to do the tour of it. As you know, being a father, I don't know. I'm, I wasn't like I said. I wasn't like a. I wasn't like madly competitive twenty four seven guy, you know. Whereas other competitors were, and so when I had kids, it was just, just didn't make sense to be, competing, you know. To me, mm. did you did you find that, especially like using my my kind of experience, like when when I joined the Marines, I was like eighteen, mm. and I didn't mm. have any responsibilities or anything like that. And the older I got, and when I got married, and then I had my, you know. When I got married, was was kind of like the, the peak of that. I had somebody else mm. that was relying on me a little bit. Yeah. Because so, if I, if I could sort of compare compare surfing to being in the military, mm. it's quite it's quite selfish, really, isn't it? You know. Yeah, absolutely. It's all about mm. it's all about you getting what you want out of it. Yeah, yeah. And, and you kind of have to be because you you got to focus on what you're doing. You got to really concentrate. And and if you're improving areas. And you got to spend time at, uh, you know, concentrating. Oh well, I've got to improve this area. I've got to keep sort of that area right, and I've got to, and I've got to look for new things to reinvent. I think with, I'm not sure what it's like to be in the Marines, but I imagine it's pretty, pretty intense. You know, at times. Yeah, I mean, uh, I got to a point where I was. Um, it, it was being in the Marines was sort of like a lifestyle. You know, um, mm-hmm. I live, I live there. Yeah. All my, all my friends and the people that were in like my section, my troop were there, always around you all the time. Mm. Got married and then moved moved out and we got we got a house. Um I mean it was the tail end of like the Afghan era, sort of like two thousand and ten, yeah. two thousand and eleven anyway. Right. I got to kind of a point in my head where I was like, Do you know what I've done this for long enough now? Yeah. And and I kind of refocused and my my focus on what was important to me changed. Mm. Um I mean, did 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 you find that you know when you when you had kids and and you know you were traveling around quite a lot? I mean, I had I had a little bit of like guilt sometimes, even though I didn't really mm. have a choice in the matter because yeah. you know I was being mm. told to do it. Um, you know, I still felt guilty. Like if if if, if for instance, when I was away in Afghanistan, for instance, and mm. I said to the missus, "Right, I'm going to phone you tomorrow at six o'clock," yeah. like that, but then I couldn't do it because I was out yeah. I was out on the ground somewhere. Yeah. I was like, I felt really bad, like because I yeah. always had this person relying on me to be there at that point, mm. and I got to a point mm. where I was like, "Nah, I'm, I've, I've had enough." Yeah, that's it. Uh, that that was kind of like what happened for me, mm. and also, I didn't have that. As far, I knew the kind of fire I needed to lift to these new guys coming on the tour, and. Um, I found that <clears throat> even though it's funny, I, once I gave up the tour, actually my, my level went up <laughs> because it didn't leave me that want to be really good at what I was doing. And I sort of still sought that out, that performance level that I've been striving for for a long time. But I, I sought it in different ways as far as like surfing different ways and 
you know, opening up to new, different type of equipment. Um, had a really good time surfing um, after coming off the tour. It wasn't as restricted. Um, but, the, you know, um, like you probably read in the book, there was other stuff going on for me. And I think, you know, I had a, a kind of, there was something kind of not, not addressed, you know, a uh, few things that weren't addressed. And uh, so they were needed, they kind of eventually had to come, come up and need to be addressed. But it's like uh, I, uh, being a father was, was um, coming from a professional surfing point of view, it was like a, I would become so self-centered that um, even though I knew that oh, I can't keep going like this, I still tried to pull it off. You know, and um, and I was still paid to do it. <laughs> so the same thing was going on. I was still paid, and I, and so I I kept that moving. Um, but I don't think it was. If I look back on it now, um, I probably would have done it different. <laughs> you know, but um, I know that my surfing level was high. I would have liked to have maybe come back to compete a bit too. You know. Um, through well, you've those done a couple years, of those uh, legend, what, what do they call them, the legend heats? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, they're pretty cool to watch, like, you know, I think uh, Oki yeah. and um, Potts did one, didn't they? Was it last yeah. year? Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's, pre it's pretty fun to watch, though, you know? So cool, and a lot of people get interested in it, and yeah, it's really cool. I did one at Pipeline with Derek and um, uh, um, Sonny and Gary Eccleton. They they put us out of pipeline. Yeah. No, about in two thousand and sixteen was it? I think something like that. Hmm. Let's talk about pipe a little bit because I know that hmm. you know a, a lot of your career and um, what you won the pipe masters three times, didn't you? Hmm. Um, yeah. What was it like your first time um, going out in pipe and that first wave that you took off and you? You you know you seen that you seen that peak come through and then you it starts to pitch up and you're looking down it's just basically a void down there isn't it you know mm, that way yeah yeah it's just uh and and the kind of equipment that I was using my first experience on that wave my first wave I remember it um pretty clearly it's a big event <laughs> you take your first wave at pipe and um. <laughs> Yeah, so it's like it, I was just dropped down. It was a smaller inside one, and it looked just like my home break um, close by here, North Narrabeen, one of my break home breaks, and it, and it just it reminded me of that the way the shape was was pulling together and the way it was forming. I was going, wow, this is just like inside Narrabeen, North Narrabeen. This is crazy, like a bigger version of it, but I could read it well easily. It was just like it felt like home. It didn't feel foreign it um and so oh, i'm dropping into this thing no problem but it was just still like a whoa <laughs> down it wasn't such a big one but it was enough and it and i had a board that i'd seven foot two surfboard never ridden seven foot two before it was a big board and i took off and i got this cut sideways along the face and then felt the backwash a bit and then i kicked out uh but i kind of moved around with it pretty good and it felt nice but that broke the ice you know that broke the ice and I all I did was really I was just mesmerized because the what the day was beautiful big pipe like um and it was the afternoon it looked like um 
it looks like here in the winter time with the north swell if we get a north swell in the early morning we get this backlit look like pipeline I used to dream about surfing pipeline after watching the movies of pipeline when i was a kid and surfing the next morning so it was always a sunday night movie and my uh f- father would you know we'd beg him to give us a dollar fifty so we'd go and see the movies down at avalon theater and the next day, I'd be like so frothed up. I'd be up before sunrise and then go straight down, and I'd look, I'd see pipeline in the waves, and I'd be like, "Oh my god, it's, we got pipeline here!" So it was almost like I'd already surfed it uh, um, and rehearsed it. And by the time I got out there and actually experienced it, that was and broke the ice with it. It started to, yeah, started the juices flowing. Um, uh, but um, and watching from the side that day, watching waves I'd never seen with barrels that big. It was like you could drive a big truck through. I was like, wow! Watching Lopez surf it, Sean Thompson, um, Rory Russell, and other surfers like Jackie Dunn. These great surfers of Pipeline back in the day were right in front of me, and I was just like. I was just gobsmacked. Yeah. It must be quite inspiring as well, but also, you know, give you the motivation to get better and better and better when the surf bigger and bigger and bigger as well, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just go, man, it was all just there laid out um, just to sort of go for and take it, you know, put my all my heart and soul into. Um, you know, and there's just, in, like you said, the surfing mecca was right there, Hawaii. It was like, Best shapers, the, you know, the, the the attention to detail, equipment, and and all this kind of just this beautiful, rich um, energy that was driving towards being really good at um, what you're doing. Um, that's what I was getting. That was the information that I was bringing in. Mm. Have you got um, like a specific memory? You know, what 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 would be like your you think if the one thing that you could remember from being on the North Shore in Hawaii, you know, what would that memory be? Wow, there's so many. Like I, it was basically my second home. You know, when I talk about spending time and knowing a place back to front, it's like it's like this stretch of the northern beaches of Sydney and that stretch of the North Shore of Oahu, and uh, the most memorable moment um there's some pretty um yeah just like in the 1991 pipeline masters winning that was pretty amazing feeling my first win on the tour though was at sunset beach and uh and i won um against mark richards and glenn rawlings and i can't remember the fourth was a four-man final and it was nine eighty two. It was the last event of the t- of the year, and uh, Mark Richards. That was his last world title win, and I was coming in behind him, and I beat him at sunset on the backside. So that kind of stamped my kind of okay, here I come kind of feeling. Um, I'd already got a second in an event. Tom Curran won an event before me. That was at Japan before that Hawaiian leg. So I was just, I was cooked after that. I, could, I got second time. I said, that's, that's just a bitch. I just needed to win. Uh, and I just didn't want to, I didn't want to get second. And uh, so, yeah, like I was talking about before, 
I don't think I was really competitive, but I could get, could get ticked off into a very competitive mode. But I wasn't uh, all encompassing. Mm. Did you have um? We're talking a little bit like mindset and you know how you psyched yourself up because you know mm. sports performance these days is quite a big thing, isn't it? You know, Pete getting their sports mm. psychologists in and. You know, I know a lot of the pros do it as well. You know, they give themselves a focus yeah. so they can that they can win their heat or get to a certain point. Was there any sort of mindset that you went into in, into a heat, especially in like bigger waves as well? Because I could imagine, you know, regardless of what people say, it's got to be scary sometimes, especially you know second second reef pipe coming in as well. You know, when it's super big, you've yeah. got to have a you know you've got to have your head on your shoulders properly and amp yourself up for it. Proper, proper, yeah. And, um, uh, wow, a lot, a lot of it for me was practice and, uh, and equipment and just feeling fit, you know, like feeling, feeling well and fit and, um, and connected to my equipment, uh, for waves like that. I just needed, I had to feel really, uh, I worked on my equipment closely and practiced whenever I could in those sort of conditions. So I knew that I could just sort of take the training wheels off and, and just paddle into, and I was, and I kind of thrived on that stuff. My biggest, um, uh, a lot of my training, a lot of my training that I had to kind of do also was for very small waves because a lot of the events were in, tiny waves if not nothing sometimes and you have to make something out of nothing <laughs> uh, and which you'd never see events maybe in QS events today you'd find that but uh, but very minimal conditions so I had to learn how to get very effective in very small conditions and I had to get myself quick uh, and I did a lot of training physical training and to get myself in good shape to deal with that and especially the guys coming up like Tom Curran and Marco Galupo and those guys who were really swift in those sort of conditions at the time. So I had to, uh, so the, like the bigger conditions that we we're faced with on the tour, it was more or less something I'd thrive on to go out. So it wasn't so much a try. I could see the other competitors sort of like some of them like freaking out a bit. I'm going, okay, I feel all right with this, you know. So there was something... Um, I was all right with with that, but with the little ones, I was the smaller ways or the medium. I had to really work on that and to get my form correct. So I did a lot of uh, a lot of training for that, and I put myself in for a couple of months of training. You know, set a, a discipline amount of hours each day and put that into the mix before competing on the last leg of the tour in 980. Four, where I eventually won the world title, that actually helped me get the title. Yeah, I spoke uh, to um, Andy Cotton, who's uh, one of Britain's big wave surfers. Yeah, the other day, and he was saying that I asked him a similar question about, you know, did you, how did you get into big wave surfing? And he said that he always felt comfortable. Um, he he never, there was never a point where he went out and he was like scared or. You know, mm. I, I did a, um, I had a lecture by a guy that did uh, some, yeah. heard of NLP before, a neuro-linguistic oh. neuro practitioners. 
Okay, I've heard of that. Yeah, now, yeah, I know I've heard. Yeah, so so one of the things that they were comparing it to jiu-jitsu, so I do Brazilian jiu-jitsu, mm -hmm. and um, mm -hmm. they were saying that before you go into a competition, when you feel scared, well, the same feeling that you have when you're scared is when you're excited as well. So are you excited yeah. or are you scared to do it? You know, it, it's yeah. the same feeling. Yes, yeah, you got it. And, and that kind of like, it's like two different fears, if you want. Um, I used to think um, that there's, there's the fear that you've got to listen to both of them, but uh, there's the one that absolutely is you just don't do it, right? There's just there's a, there's a, okay, you've got a broken leg or the femur's snapped <laughs> and you can't, and you gotta, you can't walk. And the, the thing is you don't want to walk. <laughs> the fear is you don't want to even lean on that leg, right? So yeah. that's fear. That's like that, that, that's ultimate. That you ain't going to walk. <laughs> no one's going to make me walk. I'm going to be lying down in pain. So <laughs> until I get fucking fixed up here. And, um, but there's also the fear where, like we just talked about, is the one that engages, uh, engages the, the links into that adrenaline and excitement and, and, uh, and kind of gets us in over the edge a bit break the ice with whatever looks scary but thick and in, in, in somewhat um, uh, imposing, um, uh, sometimes overwhelming environment, but then you can kind of get in there and work it out in the situation and you kind of start to link in kind of the energy. Um, like I think Andrew Cotty was probably alluding to it, kind of like, oh, I'm... It's sort of, oh, it's kind of, yeah, that's, oh, I want to get out there and do it. Kind of want to break the ice with that right now. Don't sort of waste any more time. Get your stuff together and get out there and, you know, watch what's going on, of course. <laughs> Take good care. But yeah, it actually adds to the whole environment of, of, um, of surviving it, but kind of adds to it, like uh, adds to that sort of adrenaline kind of link or, or the, the jigsaw puzzle sort of clinking in, yeah, I'm, I'm here, yeah, let's get the biggest way we can or let's get a heaviest situation, let's get further behind, let's get, you know, and sort of dig into this. Mm. Yeah, I think um, the, there's, a, there's a couple of types of people in this world. There are some people that they come up against a little bit of, um, of an obstruction or, you know, they get, they get that fear. And they're quite easy yeah. to go, do you know what? No, nah, I'm not going to do that. Or you've got other yeah. people like yourself. I, I feel like I'm, I'm the same mm. way. I'm like, yeah. or if I get told that I can't do something, I'm going to go, yeah. oh, fuck you. Uh, yeah, I'm yeah. do it, man. Yeah, yeah. it's got a bit of that in me. <laughs> yeah. Just give me, you want me to do something? Tell me I can't do it. So, so but, um, and it's just, it's, that's something's going to built in. I know that the, the guy that I learned how to surf with, his name was Alan French, when we were, you know, 10, 11, 12, uh, I found this out, you know, like early in the game. It was a little bit different than him because he, as soon as the waves would get about three or four foot, and he had a fiberglass board, I only had a foam board, and he was a really good surfer, better than me. And he'd go, and he was a lovely guy, a really good buddy. He used to surf all together uh, all the time. But as soon as it get to three feet above three feet he'd just get oh i'll bring him up okay you come and serve him. 
oh, mum said that I might, you know, I've got to do this or, you know. So there was always a kind of an out when it got a little bit. And I used to go, ah, oh, you know, what's going on? And then the older guys in Newport down the beach are going, oh, yeah, you're not like Alan, are you? You know, like, you, you, you'll you go for it, won't you? I'll go, oh, what do you mean? Of course. <laughs> so sort of um, kind of a natural difference going on, you know, that didn't make him like uh, he was still an amazing surfer and he was good to be with and was a good buddy. And um, But um, I would go definitely out in anything um, that was coming along at even that age. I think, um, do, do, do you think that's because a lot of the breaks, I mean, it's different here in the UK because mm. we're very, very weather dependent on here and we have the Atlantic yeah. Ocean, you know, is not as yeah. big as the Pacific, what you get, you know, you've got massive oceans that draw that swelling, mm. right? Um, mm. Do you think that's, you know, you thrived a lot more in bigger waves is because you had that more consistency of, you know, your four mm. to six foot solid waves coming through all the time waves like here, you know, mm. we'd probably get that like maybe once a year if we're lucky. Like, mm. Yeah. Yeah. So um, definitely we've got easy access here. There'd be waves all year round. Um, you know, we have that stronger winter months uh, and then every now and then you get a cyclone swirl in summer. But uh, it was, there was always waves accessible to us, easy to get. <laughs> We're in surfing heaven, really. We've had a great winter this winter. So you just, it's easy access. You could just, you can basically walk from your house and go surfing. It was pretty easy. It was easy, easy access. Yeah, that's for sure. And, and we pretty much have surfable waves every day. And I'd surf anything when I was a kid. I saw a, a clip of you, um, I think it was in January, you went to uh, one of the wave gardens that were built. Yeah. Um, we, we've had one built, uh, I don't know why I'm pointing behind me there, it's not behind me. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, had, uh, we had one, yeah, it's over there. Uh, yeah. We had one built in uh, Bristol, which is probably about an hour and a half away from where mm, I mm, live. Mm, um, I've surfed that quite a few times. I mean, what, what are your mm. thoughts on the, uh, on the wave pools? Cool. I, I think they're great. They're like, um, yeah, that those wave garden ones are cool because they um, they rotate you around with other people surfing at the same time. You get to see them, get to yell at them, or if you're their buddies, and see what's going on. Kind of like, and and they're fun waves. They're like you, you surf a lot of waves in in a short period of time. Yeah, I think the one uh, up there, you've got fourteen waves, fourteen sets in an hour, and there's twenty. 20 waves in a set or something like that? Yeah, crazy, crazy. amount of waves. Yeah. yeah. So it's a, you can get, I remember surfing, I surf for four hours in the morning and then three hours in the afternoon, I one down. So all up, I was completely toasted at the end of the day. But I pushed myself and because I knew that, that it's just a really nice opportunity. And uh, Whereas Kelly's wave pool, I, I love, I, I think it's amazing what they're doing, by the way, um, with artificial waves. They're not really artificial waves. They're actually waves that are man-made, but I wouldn't call them artificial because they're actually real. And um, But, you know, there's definitely a power source there that's just in this little spot It's and there's little... and it's quite defined. You can't sort of go out the parameters, whereas in the ocean you can kind of... You can get a break where you can go out of the out of the parameters of the swave and join another part of the perimeter of the ocean, so you get this sort of bit more limitless. But 
um, as the ocean is so powerful. But yeah, Kelly's wave pool is amazing to surf. It's like uh, it's not as much engagement with the other surfers. Okay, yeah, because yeah, you you got this one thing goes down the end of the pool and then comes back and then goes down and like that. <clears throat> Whereas in the wave garden, it's got heaps of waves and you're sort of yelling out at each other. It's kind of fun. This Kelly one's a bit more serious. Yeah. <clears throat> it's a bit more serious. It's quite powerful. It goes a long way too and you don't want to blow it, but you do. <laughs> and you go, oh, damn. So you know, leg up well. <clears throat> Proper leg workout. Yeah. But it's great. You, if you surf a right all the way and then you surf a left all the way, you, even after that, it seems about a six minute turnaround or something like that. It's pretty, it's pretty tiring. Yeah, the one that we've got, they've um, they've opened it up to the public where they've got different uh, different settings on there. I think there's mm. um, so you've got your, your basic, your beginners, your intermediates, and your advanced, <coughs> which is you know it's pretty decent. There's a few nice little sections in it too, but then they've got the advanced plus, which goes up a couple of levels again, and yeah, then you've got your expert slab. one, yeah, which is just literally you take off in the right in the pinnacle of the corner. Yeah. And it falls yeah. out, yeah. Yeah, it gets squashed on the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, super shallow, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not it's not particularly forgiven if you do fall off. No, no. I've not been on the bottom of that pool at Melbourne. Yeah. Uh SUP, when did you um, when did you start doing stand up paddling? Ah, I started stand up paddling in two thousand and four. Okay. And then um with um, Led and um, and Dave Kalama, and they got me up on the. I always was pretty interested because Led was doing it, and, and I was really up for doing anything new. And uh, any different way of riding a wave, to surf the wave so one particular way for so long, and uh, getting up with a paddle, I had a new view. It was physically really challenging, <coughs> and um, and it just and I could ride a long board. I wanted to ride a long board and just feel the ability to use the paddle and, and different ways of just using the body. And, uh, and I found it incredibly challenging. Like one of those things, oh, okay, so you can't do that. <laughs> sure. <coughs> so, were, you, um, were you ever one of those guys that, you know, you saw people starting to do it and you were like, that? What, the, what the fuck are they doing? You know, um, <coughs> there's a lot of surfers that have a negative... Uh, <coughs> A negative look on uh, on paddling, whereas like mm -hmm. um, I'm not the saying, grumpy surfer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ah. <laughs> but but I like to uh, I, you know I've got boards away from like a little five six fish, all the way up to I've got a nine eight um, uh, paddle board that I surf mm -hmm. in anything between sort of like two to three foot. Yeah, it's it bigger than that. I go back to riding my uh, my my, yeah. my boards again. Yeah, like that diversity in it. I think it just gives you a lot yeah. more to expand your experience, really, isn't it? That's it. So yeah, like I just love uh, body surf, mat ride. Um, I don't have a body board, but I've body boarded before. Um, I wouldn't. So it's <laughs> not a strong point, but uh, I just love riding waves, and uh, and I don't want to say no to something. You know, like. Um, as far as trying to ride a wave, I found it incredibly challenging just to stand on the thing at first and f why can't I do this? I've got to do this. So I dug in on the challenge and, uh, and, I, and I loved the challenge. 
to actually learn how to paddle out through surf and get a wave on a stand-up paddleboard was tough. And the physical challenge was, I was up for it. And it was right at the time when I really needed a, a new physical challenge and, uh, and I bit and uh, I took it. I still love it. Still from time to time. I haven't done it. Been more into the foiling lately. Uh, been really getting onto the foil and loving it. I thought I'd never be able to do it when the first few times I did it. It was so hard and it didn't make any sense because it's pretty different. So I had to relearn, had to take surfing program out, <laughs> <laughs> reprogram in the foil and then put surfing on top of the foil program. So that was how it kind of went. And, um, but now foiling's in there, I can, I can pretty much sort of swap around. It's pretty cool. It's, and it's an amazing way of riding as well. Yeah, I've got a few friends that, um, that do that. You know, just to ride the swells mm. as opposed to mm. opposed to waves. I've not had the opportunity yeah. to do it yet, but it's something mm. that you know I'd 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 really like to do. Um, mm. It just looks it looks so what's the word so graceful. Um, you mm. know, watching people just sort of like floating because I think that didn't Laird develop it um, for bigger wave surfing because the the wave are uh, the wind on a bigger wave it creates so much chop so we wanted to, yeah. like, to lift the board off so yeah. he was able to you know still surf on it but without being mm. bounced off basically wasn't it yeah it was funny it's like and he got he found it off uh i believe it was uh have you ever seen the chair foiling chair they sit in the chairs yeah, yeah. and they do flips and stuff and they strap themselves onto a chair <laughs> yeah. and it's scary. I can imagine ripping your back off, you know, yeah. tear, tear your lower lumbar out. But they would like doing flips and doing weird stuff. And they got the little alloy, alloy sort of blades. Um, and that's what he stuck on those boards. And he put his, his uh, snowboard boots on. I tried it with the snowboard boots back in the day. A shocker. Like I, it was just horrible. And I ended up getting a wave. I was just going, I got onto this wave. I remember Ross Clark Jones towed me into it. And I'm like <laughs> flying along this wave at the local beach. The worst wave to actually foil on, by the way. Now I realise. But uh, I ended up feeling it going, oh, my God, I'm up. I'm going. But, you know, I just went kaboom. I was stuck underneath this set. And I had these boots stuck in the – it was just a bitch. Mm. Do not rip your feet off because you can't. There was no cleats in there, was there? To, to get, them I was just together. stuck, stuck in this sandbar, and he couldn't get me on the stone to get the snowboard boots off, and I just got the thing off. It was just a painful experience, but um, it kind of turned me off the whole idea until a couple of years ago when I saw Kyle Lenny do his thing and bounce around and get another wave behind the wave and, you know, started doing that. I was going, oh, my God, that that looks amazing. Yeah. Yeah, that guy's just another level, I think. He's in the realm to totally, himself, isn't he? Totally, yeah. He, he's one of those guys, a product of, you know, Kai's a product of Maui culture, surfing culture, classic pinnacle of just using every element there is, particularly wind, uh, and um, and any kind of surfing craft, anything to ride, anything. So they're not bound to, oh, like you, I love the grumpy surfer because, you know, it ticks, it, it gets me because I, 
I see so many grumpy old guys out there and they're on their specific kind of equipment and they're, oh, mate, what are you riding that for, you know, like, oh, you know, they're all stuck in this, oh, and they're giving you stink eye and you go, oh, <laughs> Just surf it, <laughs> and and I, and I get that. I see, is this a pattern that happens to old guys? Do they just get grumpy? And I just noticed it was well. It's not particularly for any one culture, but it seemed to be worldwide. Is sort of, do you just get like an older guy become older and grumpy as a part of getting older? I saw them get narrower in their approach, and I've just gone. Uh, I'm going to try and not go that way. So when I was looking at the Maori culture and got introduced to, I knew known Lev since he was young, and then I known got acquainted with and became really good friends with Dave Kalama, who started the Strap Crew at um, towing in Jaws, and ended up doing some sessions with those guys at Jaws, and and saw what they did. They did everything, you know. And they all come from kind of windsurfing. Um, backgrounds too so they understood wind and Kai really is like he's benefited from all that energy and just being a highly talented athlete just put in that zone he's like now he's just going next level like so cool to see and I love that energy like it's it's the best you know, when they, when got, they released that clip the, uh, I think it was a uh, maybe well it might be before lockdown before uh, this COVID thing kicked in and he was in uh, towed into Nazareth and he did that backflip. Yeah. Like, what? Like, like, who yeah, does he's that? just playing, he's playing with it. Just like playing with Nazareth. Like he's got that much confidence. He's got so into his equipment. He knows his equipment. I know that feeling is such a good feeling. It's just a feeling of that confidence. You can just read to play. Let's play. I can do that. I can do this. Yay. There's no boundaries. You're just living in that boundless space and it's just, it's it kind of cool because we get to go along for the ride because we go, oh, yeah, go, go, guy. Yeah. How did you, um, because you did a bit of towing surfing with Ross Clark Jones, didn't you? Um, yeah. You know, how, how did you find that? You did, a, you did a program as well called, was it Storm Surfers? Storm Surfers, yeah. 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 That was really cool when we did that. We did that for about seven years and, um, uh, and we did quite a few shows and then we did a movie at the end of it, which was three in 3d. So we, that, that kind of band of all of us with production and all that sort of stuff, we stuck it out. We did that good sold seven years of that stuff. And it was hectic, you know, <laughs> you know, being towed, towing around with Ross's, we've known each other for a long time and we're really good buddies. And, um, Ross is a, maniac you know like he yeah no proper he like <laughs> you know he he's just go you know just go no matter what and uh so we were trying to find a kind of a, some waves that no one had ever ridden um try to find the biggest unridden sort of spots or places that were just it didn't matter what they kind of were like, just that they were different. And that was kind of where we started off. We started off the first show. <clears throat> we found a wave down in South Africa off the Cape, uh, Southwestern Cape, um, called the Southwest Reef. And we tried to 
you you know try to tow that way that was got a little hectic um pretty crazy place down there like um you know for sharks and seals and it was pretty scary like um the surf came up so fast that one day that we got to do it we only had one day permit by the uh to this is our first show that we did and um we only had one day permit and we spent six weeks there trying to get the right day it was very very tough to we learned a lot of lessons the whole crew and we came back with the show but it was intense um we sort of <coughs> had another one in japan that was amazing we got a massive swell a huge super typhoon swell and we surfed uh, off um the southernmost point of Honshu uh, Island, uh, Wakayama Prefecture, and we set this crazy reef. Not even the local big wave rider guys had ever seen. And um, so we didn't know what we were doing. They didn't know what they were doing. They didn't even know what they would seen it. So uh, it was pretty sketchy. <laughs> and, um, and the Japanese don't really have jet skis, so... Um, available to do that sort of stuff and they close all the ports down and there was all this sort of you know getting um, getting the permission to get out there was tricky but um, that was an amazing show but those sort of shows that we started doing some of the waves we surfed was just extraordinary um, um, but yeah working with Ross was probably lost my Probably, I, I had to eventually get a shoulder reconstruction, getting ripped <laughs> the rope, you know, on uh, the right shoulder here. And, um, but yeah, we pushed it. We pushed it. It was really a lot of fun doing it with the crew, and and uh, we did some. We had a, a great wild ride. Mm. I, I've got, um, you know, I, I, we're co coming to the end, I reckon, because uh, you know, yeah, yeah. I've got. Yeah. Um, I've got a couple of questions or so I, I put onto yeah, sure. my, my Facebook page. I ask people like to ask you a couple of questions if that's all right. Mm -hmm. So the first one's from a guy called John Nash. Um, he asks, what do you think about the uh, WSL's format for next year? You know, the reformatting of the, uh, the events, the, the way that the contests run. Yeah, look, um, you know what? I haven't studied it. Um, I need to go in and study it to understand it. Um, to give you a better answer than what I know, that I know they're going to uh, break it down, break it down, break it down, which it sounds like a great idea to get to pull uh, the best talent to sort of make it a bit more easier to get better conditions and put the put the surfers in a really ideal uh, place to compete um, and actually run events a bit quicker. So I think that sounds like a great idea. But I haven't studied the exact detail, but that would have been a great, a great way of competing. You know, get knocked down all the way so you go to a sort of like a, a grand, it's like a, like the best of the best. Go and compete. I think, I think the, the analogy I was using with it is it's like, mm. um, it's like Super League and uh, and the NRL mm. where yeah. they have they play the whole season and once they get to the end they've got like the top. Eight teams, yeah. and then you're going to a playoff, and then you know, yeah, out of that. Yeah, and I think that's great. It'll be make uh, you know, the viewers sort of oh, okay, who's who's making the cut? Uh, you know, be get really exciting towards the end. 
Okay, the next one I've got is uh, from a guy called Warren Key Smith. He says, um, when taking off on a critical wave, what goes through your mind to ensure that you get the best ride you can on that wave? I think it's a combination of a lot of um, a lot of surfing um, and and experience with what the wave's going to do and how you judge it and 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 so the decision making is just without thought. Does that make sense? Yeah. So we don't want to be thinking. Um, it's got to be feel all the way. And once we've really, you know, you've found we've found ourselves a wave, and we're we're really only going to ride it if we're relaxed, we're alert, and we're feeling feeling enthusiastic about the situation. Whereas, you know, if we're you know really apprehensive, if we're stiff, rigid, if we're not sure what we're doing because we're inexperienced, so it's about sort of getting as much experience as you can in all different types of conditions. So when you finally find that that you will, you will know it when you get it. <laughs> You'll feel that, um, all that experience coming to that particular moment. That kind of lump of water sacred too, uh, that you get to know that you feel really nice with. And that can be at all these different levels as you rise to those, you know, uh, more, you know, experience levels of surfing. You have these moments through that pathway. Where you oh that wave was really good and you have really you tend to want to go back to those sort of waves that that really spoke to you and gave you that feeling um, but I can't say that there's a thought process for me um, other than the feeling getting a feeling for it going through the experience over and over to seek that particular kind of wave that I know them I, I just love. Um, the feeling of being on and so yeah that's that's a tricky one i couldn't say like a breakdown um one of those ones that break things down in increments and say oh this is what i do to get to there um it's really a feeling thing for me cool yeah i like that excuse me thanks um um, one okay so the last one from the facebook questions then uh from matt goff uh, who on the current WSL roster um, would you like to compete against if you were going to do, if you were, you know, back in your competing days? Oh, wow. Probably Italo. <laughs> you know, Italo, I would love to compete against Italo, you know, um, and lift my game and, you know, because I love the way he lifts his game. Him and, and, and Gabe. Uh, I love to compete against Gabe. I guess I guess I'm there with that. Um, I still like to compete against Kelly. That'd be good because he's such a mind, you know, and he's such a great competitor. I'd love to beat him, you know. <laughs> but uh, you know, there's some such good surfers, huh? But John, John, I don't know. John, 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 John's incredible. Like he's just incredible. Uh, he'd probably. Get himself a world title again, uh, and, you know. If he really wants it, he could just go you know, and start racking them up. But um, I'm more impressed. I'm more. I'm more driven to, to compete against Italo or or, uh, or Gabe. Yeah. Nice. Okay, we'll finish on the quick fire round. Um, five yeah. questions. <clears throat> so the first one is: 
if you could surf a board, which fin setup would you surf for the rest of your life? So single fin, twin fin, thruster, quad, or bonza? I'd have to stick with thruster. Like, um, yeah, because the, even the, the various forms of the thruster can be the most, be the most uh, versatile out of the lot. Mm. Nice. Coffee or tea? I like my coffee. Most memorable wave? Whoa, that's a hard one. Mm. Uh, I surfed. Uh, one, one of the most memorable waves, it keeps coming up to me when I get asked this. I was surfing out of Phantom Reef in the North Shore of Hawaii, of Hawaii and it was just me and Ross Clark Jones. I was on his nine-foot board that he uses at Wyomere Bay and it was a big day. It was about 15 feet, 18 feet, maybe not quite 20 feet. But it was sheet glass. There's this big, big teepee left coming through and we could just paddle in and just stand up on these big lurching kind of peaks. I'll never forget just dropping into one of those things, sheet glass. It was the evening. The wind was really kind of warm and I, I just remember falling down one of those things just going, this is just the best. I was like, this is the best. Yeah, kind of that that came to mind. I remember that wave really clearly. I felt like I was facing off the mountains on a mountain. Yeah, those days are beautiful, aren't they? I've had a couple of mm. sessions where I've, I've gone down on my own. It's, you go down little some tracks through some farm fields drop down a cliff mm. and then you, you know we've got this perfect like little right hander that's coming off yeah. no wind and then you just sat there again yeah. fuck i've got the best sport ever right this is it yeah yeah this is it i was like man god i was standing at the top of this way before having to drop in i was just like this is it i'm like with arms out i go and ross comes <laughs> screaming eh! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah legend um, surfing on your own or with friends? I love surfing with friends. Mm. I love surfing with friends. Uh, last surf you had, where was it and what were the conditions? Oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, last surf I had was um, at um, South Narrabeen, which is pretty strong waves. I was riding... Uh, a six foot six and was barreling got one barrel like i got spat out really strong so that was cool i um yeah that was an amazing 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 surf uh that was i was i didn't surf today but it was yesterday yeah was it yesterday hang on i'm just trying to think because i did i had a couple of full days um yesterday Mm. Yeah, it was great. I, I didn't surf. I haven't surfed for probably about a week now, <laughs> and that was oh, up right. up in Bristol. Uh, well, yeah, classic. <laughs> well, John Carroll, thanks for your time, mate. You're an yeah, legend, and I appreciate your time for uh, talking to me. So, uh, yeah, thank you very much. Uh, it's a pleasure, Ed. Yeah, good luck with it, huh? Yeah, thanks, mate. Thanks for coming on the Gr- Grumpy Surfer podcast. Yeah, <laughs> don't be a grumpy surfer, though. Don't be a grumpy surfer. Yeah, you kind of move away from being the old grumpy guy. Maybe. I don't know. You can be grumpy if you want. Sarcasm is your friend. Okay, all right. All right.
<laughs> that's it, mate. Beautiful. Cheers. Thanks. Thanks, mate. And that's it. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share and subscribe on your podcast provider. Thanks for listening. <laughs>